0: Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Uh, today we are continuing a series that we started a few weeks ago called Big Ten, and this series is about the Ten Commandments, the, the Big Ten. And we started on Memorial Day weekend, and our team did a great job of, um, of sharing the, the first, well. I guess actually the last six commandments, and the last six commandments deal with our relationships with each other, and the first four commandments deal with our relationship with God. And so we took the first six, and our staff talked about those, and then we're walking through last week and this week the first two together, and we'll finish up over the next couple weeks. My hope is that as we engage in this conversation about the Ten Commandments, you'll begin to look at the Ten Commandments differently, because... Uh for, for many of us, me included, for a lot of years, I looked at the Ten Commandments as just rules, do's and don'ts. And rules are not life-giving. Rules uh, are limiting. And what I want you to do is have a shift where you can begin to see the Ten Commandments as Uh, life-giving, as not rules that restrict us, but actually uh, guidelines that liberate us, that give us freedom. Because really what God is trying to do with the Ten Commandments is help us live our best life. Uh, In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So what he's saying is, if we could sum up all the commandments, it's these two things. Love God really well. Love your neighbor really well. And if we can do that, then everything else falls into place. Uh, That these are the values that support the rules. So God wants you to have a healthy marriage. And so one of the best things you can do to have a healthy marriage is not cheat on your spouse, right? So God says, Don't commit adultery. If you want your best marriage, don't commit adultery. Um, God wants us to have healthy relationships with the people around us. So one of the most important things we can do to have healthy relationships with people is not murder them, right? That's beneficial. Uh, And the friends I look for, I look for somebody who's not gonna murder me. Like That's important, that's a value, I think. But I think you understand what I'm saying. At the end of the day, there are values here that are trying to help us live the life that God wants us to live, uh, these, these values support the, the rules and that's really what God wants for us. So one of the things I mentioned last week that I wanna remind you about today and, and I might remind you about it later on as well. When God directs us to do something, it's always for our benefit, not for his benefit. So when God tells us to, um, to not put any other gods before him, it, it sounds a little self-serving, right? Right? But if we understand God's heart for us is that we have our, the, our best life we can, then we understand when he gives us that direction, it's for us. It's not to manipulate us. It's not for his benefit. It's for our benefit. So let me start in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. It says, you must not have any other gods but me. You must not... Make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of, any, of anything in the heavens or in the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them and worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other God. I lay the sins of the parents upon the children, and the entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. So last week, if you missed last week, I'd really encourage you, go back and get caught up, uh, listen to that or watch that video from last weekend. But we talked a little bit about this idea that God is a jealous God. So we're not gonna rehash that today. But but we see here, he says, I'm a jealous God. And then he says something that, that might've caught your attention. He said, I lay the sins of the parents upon the children, the entire family is affected, even children in third and fourth generations who reject me, but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. So I want to help you with this. Um, this feels a little harsh, because maybe you grew up in a home where church wasn't valued, where God wasn't valued, and as a result, you hear a verse like this, and you're like, whoa, 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 that doesn't seem fair, um, so I'm being punished for my parents. So I'll just tell you, um, this, is, this, is pre, this is old covenant. And so what we see is this is still a principle that's true today, but it is not a prediction. It is not a promise that this is how it's going to be. Um, we can look back at this through the lens of the cross and understand what Jesus did uh, set us free from generational curses. Uh, so if your parents didn't believe in God, you're not cursed. What it's getting at is for us today though is there's this principle that's true that if I raise my children with a fear of God, with an affection for Jesus, then they're probably gonna raise their kids with an affection for Jesus. That this principle is true, that if, if I raise my kids helping them understand how important God is in our lives and who he really is, then they're probably gonna do the same thing with their kids. But the other is, is true as well. If, if I raise my kids with a disregard of who God is, then they are probably going to do the same thing. And this is, this is generational, um, but we are not cursed to this. So I wanna help you with that. Uh, I wanna get that part out of the way before we go any further. So when we look at this, this idea of idolatry, We talked about this last week a little bit. Uh, A lot of us feel like we're off the hook because we don't have little shrines in our house and we don't have little figures that we worship um, like we think of in the Old Testament. Uh, But we're not off the hook. In fact, last week we went through a few of the gods that I feel like are prominent in our culture today, and, uh, and we won't go through that again, uh, but they were the gods of success, the gods, uh, the god of pleasure, and the god of comfort. I feel like those are three gods that dominate our culture today, even in the church many times. Um, but we have gods we serve. We have idols we serve. And it's easy to do. It comes naturally to us. Um, idolatry is not worshiping bad things. That's what we think it is. It's not. It's taking good things and making them supreme. So it's taking a good thing and having it turn into something we love too much. That's what idolatry is. Like I said, it comes naturally to us. It's easy to do. John Calvin said, the human heart is an idol factory. Our hearts are looking for things to love and worship. And if we're not careful, we're going to love and worship the wrong things too much. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I won't read this passage to you, but in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we, we looked at it last week, um, Paul's talking to Timothy about end time events and what the culture is gonna look like and what people will be doing and thinking and how they'll value things. And one of the things he says is there will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And we, we did a deep dive into the language. And what it was saying is, if we l- l- literally translated it is, that they are friends with pleasure better than friends with God. So it's not that they say, I hate God and I worship this. What they're doing is is even more dangerous in some ways because what they're saying is, hey, I'm going to be friends with God, but I'm going to be better friends with this idol. And this is the danger because for us, we can say, hey, I do love God. Oh, I love God. I go to church. Now, you guys don't love God as much as the people who came to the early service because they had to show up in rain. You guys walked in, it was sunny outside, right? So, so I love God, I show up to church. Even when it was raining this morning, I still show up to church. That's how much I love God. That's great. I love God, I put something in the offering box. I love God because I watch even when I'm not here. Awesome. It's not a problem that you love God. The problem is that we don't love God supremely. We love God, but there's things we love more than God. And I want you to hear this. This is just my opinion. I don't think Satan has a problem with you loving God. I don't think he's out to make us hate God. I think he's just fine with you loving God as long as you still love something more. Because that lulls us into this place of security thinking, I'm good because I love God. That's not what God's asking for. God, God is not interested in joint custody. He doesn't want to share you with someone or something else. God isn't an, an all in God. I've said before, God is ruthless, and He is. He doesn't want to share you, He wants all of you. That's why He says, I am the Lord your God. You will have no other gods but me and then in the second commandment he says that he won't tolerate affection for other gods cuz he will not share you with anybody else he will be first he'll be foremost he'll be primary and this is why when it comes to the tithe and some of you're like oh no I knew we were coming to this it's church we're going to talk about giving i'm not going to stay here you don't have to leave when it comes to the tithe some people think a tithe is just giving to the church and that's that's not true Some people think tithe is giving 10% to the church, and that's not true either. The tithe is actually the first 10%. God wants the first 10%, not because he's greedy, because he's trying to help us understand that in all things, God will be primary, he will be first. God is first, whether we put him first or not. And what God's trying to do is help us come into alignment with his plans and word for us. So we put him first in our finances, and it brings us into alignment with this understanding that God is first, he is primary. He is not just a friend, He's my best friend. He is not just a God, he is the God. He is not just someone I love, he is my primary supreme affection in my life. See, idolatry is not hating God. It's just loving God less than you love other things. Another quote by John Calvin, he said this. What is idolatry if not this? To worship the gifts in place of the giver himself. And that's what we do. We will take things that God has given us and we will worship them as supreme. God, thank you for this job. And now this job becomes everything to us. God, thank you for financial blessing in my life. And then that financial, it becomes what we chase, what we worship, what we're all about. This is gonna sound weird, but even our families. We can worship our our family, our, our kids, our relationships. They can occupy a place that they were never intended to occupy. Is it wrong to love your kids? No, it's great to love your kids. You should love your kids. I advocate loving your children. You should do that, right? That's a good thing. But it's about ordering your affections correctly. If you love your kids as your primary affection, as your most supreme affection, then everything else is out of order. Your life is not gonna look like what it should. Because really, at the end of the day, idolatry is about disordered affections. It's about loving the wrong things too much and loving the supreme thing, God, too little. In 1 John chapter five, verse 21, John says this. He says, dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. And this is a good rule to live by. Avoid anything that may take God's place in your heart. What he's saying is avoid anything that can become your supreme affection. What he's saying is guard your heart. Be careful about what you give yourself to, what you love too much, and I used to talk to teenagers a lot, and I've talked about it here a little bit, about we ask the wrong questions. So a lot of times we as even adults will ask the question, well, is this sinful? Is it, is it, is it, am I going to go to hell if I do this? And that is the wrong question to ask about just about anything uh, the question we should be asking is, is it wise? Is it wise for me to do this? Is it, is it going to potentially rob my affection of God by engaging in this behavior, by having this relationship, whatever it might be? And if we ask that question, we'd be so much better off. Uh, if, we asked, if we asked this question, does this have the potential of robbing God of the affection he deserves, instead of saying, will I go to hell for this? It would change outcomes in our lives. Um, is it sinful to have lunch or coffee with someone who's not your spouse or the opposite sex? No, it's not sinful. You're not going to go to hell for that. Is it wise? I don't know. I don't because I don't think it's wise for me. Um, is it because something's going to happen? No. But I don't want to do anything that, that could put me in a position to have an affection for something greater than God. And that could be an extramarital affair. Somebody that shows me attention or a little too much affection and now my heart begins to go that way. Maybe it's a substance like alcohol where we, does that drink bad? No, it's not gonna send you to hell to drink alcohol. But before we know it, it can become a God for us. It can become what we wake up in the morning wanting and craving and thinking about. It's what Nurses us and helps us, all these things. And what happens is before we know it, we've got things in our life that have taken God's place in our heart. One of the most important things we can do in order to prevent that from happening is to love what God loves Um, because we talk about loving God in real generic terms sometimes. And it's like, we gotta love God more. And people are like, yeah, I'm gonna love God more. Okay, I guess that means I have to go to church more. I have to read my Bible and I have to pray and that's what it looks like. And let's be honest, for a lot of people, they struggle to read their Bible more because the Bible is not always easy to read. Um, They struggle to pray because we think you've got to pray 30 minutes straight and if you've never spent time in prayer, then 30 minutes might as well be eternity, Right? It's forever. And you get two minutes in, you're like, I've prayed for everybody I know. Everything I can think, I've prayed for it. So what am I supposed to do now? And you just repeat. I'll pray, same two minutes, I'll pray it again, right? 15 times for 30 minutes. And then, so we're white knuckling this stuff, trying harder. I'm just going to do it, but I mean this sincerely. Just love what God loves. Just set your affection on the things that God cares about and loves, and it's going to help you love God more. Um, pastor Steph McCoy is our missions and outreach pastor and you may or may not know her story. She she was a student at IUP. She was a softball player and she was attending here with some of the other softball players whenever we became the pastors. It was the spring of uh, 2014 and they were in the middle of their season and I didn't know these girls. I just know these girls are coming to our church and I gotta be perfectly honest with you. I hope this isn't offensive. Uh, I am naturally not a big fan of women's college softball. I would never normally watch it on television or go out of my way to watch it in person. Just didn't care. But here's the thing. There were some people in our church who love women's college softball. And if I want to learn how to love them, I want to love what they love. So I started becoming a women's college softball fan. I started showing up to their games. I started cheering them on. And that helped me get to know them better. And as a result, ultimately, Steph ended up on staff here. We tricked her into sticking around and not moving away, right? Why? Because I I chose to love something that she loved, and it helped me love her and her teammates more. Um, This is true in just about any area of our life. You wanna learn how to love somebody better? Love what they love. I've told you before, I don't know how many uh, terrible middle school band concerts I endured. Right? They weren't good. Let's not lie. We've got band teachers in the room right now. And if they were honest, they'd say the same thing. They're not good. They're not talented. They're working on it. They're trying. It's great. But I'm not going for the pure enjoyment of it. Do you know why I'm going? Because I love my daughter and she loves it. So we're going. We're going to do... What she loves to do. So what do we do with God? Well, we love the things he loves. What does he love? He loves lost people. If you don't have an affection for lost people, it's gonna be hard for you to learn to love God. So learn to love lost people. Learn to love broken, marginalized people. Learn to see people who are in need and respond to that. Love what God loves. It's gonna help you stave off idolatry. Three things real quick that idols do. Number one, idols lie to us. They offer something they can't deliver. They, they promise you that if you just engage your heart, then things are gonna be great. Your life will be perfect if you just. And this sounds like a commercial, right? I, I saw that um, the new Tesla is gonna, it's literally gonna be zero to 60 in 1.2 seconds. I don't know why Anyone would ever need to go that fast in your vehicle. Like, why do you, you're really trying to get out of the drop off line at the kids' school, right? I don't know. Like, woohoo, I left them at school, <laughs> you're gone. My car, I drive a Kia Forte, it goes zero to 60 sometimes. But what car commercials will tell you is your life will be better if you just get this car. Your life will be more complete, it'll be more fulfilled, you'll be happier if you just get this car. This shampoo, your life is terrible until you get this shampoo. You're a loser, the girls think you're ugly, but use this shampoo. Now you got game. And the, the commercials prove it, right? You see the guy before and he's like, mmm, and his hair's all messy, mmm, wah, wah. And then you see him sudden his hair up and he's like, yeah, right? And then afterward, the girl's like, hey. Come on. What's it doing? Well, it's playing on our insecurities. You're not enough, but you would be if you had this shampoo. You would be if you had this car. You would be if you had this house. this This is what Satan does. He did it since the beginning of time in the garden. Man, you're not enough. You know what? If you just ate of this fruit, then you'd be like God. There's something more for you. There's something better for you. And this is what idols tell us. There's something more for you. If you'll just give me your affection, make me supreme, then your life will be better. The interesting thing is they promise to give us what we want, but ultimately they rob us of everything that's really important to us. God is the only God who gives us more than he takes. Every other God takes more than they give. It's interesting because when it's, when it comes to Christianity, it looks like it takes more than it gives. I'm sure you've talked to people who are like, "You know what? I mean, like that's great for you, but man, son, I don't want to give up my Sundays. Sundays my day. Man, I don't want to have to I'd have to give up some, my friends, some of the things I do. I've said this before, but growing up there was this saying we had said we don't smoke, we don't drink, we don't chew and we don't run with girls who do. And that's hard in Oklahoma because most of them chew. (laughs) This is about our behavior though, right? This is about what we do and don't do. And people think if I go to church, I can't drink, I can't smoke, I can't can't do all the things, I've got to change my behavior, I've got to live right, and I just, I don't know, that's a sacrifice. I don't know, that costs a lot. But the reality is, It's not that big a sacrifice once we experience God. Like, I can't believe that those things kept me from experiencing this, right? So the payoff is bigger than what we imagine it will be. And idolatry is the opposite it promises us everything. Your life will be perfect, it'll be so good. Just love this, and it'll be good. And we go, okay, this seems easy. Then before we know it, we find out we've been lied to, we find out we've been deceived. We find out that, that maybe this God, this idol, is actually taking more than he gives, when in fact our God gives more than he takes. In Jeremiah chapter 2, uh, the nation of Israel was split into two, and um, They were in captivity to the Babylonians. And God is speaking through Jeremiah and he says this. This is what the Lord God says. Do not act like the other nations who try to read their future in the stars. Do not be afraid of their predictions even though other other nations are terrified by them. What he's saying is, hey, they're trying to figure out the future by looking at the stars and astrology and all these kind of things. They're trusting in those things to tell them what their future is. And basically what God is saying is, don't worry about that, trust me. Let me be your God, put me first and you'll be able to trust me. He goes on to say, their ways are futile and foolish. They cut down a tree and a craftsman carves an idol. They decorate it with gold and silver then fasten it securely with a hammer and nails so it won't fall over. Their gods are like helpless scarecrows in a cucumber field. They cannot speak. They need to be carried because they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of such gods for they can neither harm you nor do you any good. This is who we serve when we serve an idol. We serve an idol who is powerless but will tell you they have power. They they cannot serve you or help you, but they will tell you they can serve you and help you. And in fact, God, I I think God is a little sarcastic because there's a little snark in this as he's telling the nation, you people are serving idols that you have carved out of wood. They can't even stand up in their own power. You have to nail them down to keep them from falling over. They can't even move from place to place. You have to carry them to where they need to go. And he says, they don't have the power to harm you. Don't be afraid of them. But then he says, they also don't have the power to help you. Any other God we serve besides Yahweh, our one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they lie to us. Idols lie. Second thing is this. Idols enslave us. 2 Kings chapter 17 verse 15. says they rejected their decrees and the covenant he, talking about God, made with their ancestors. And the statutes he had warned them to keep. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. I want to point this out. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. We move in the direction of our affection. So what we love will it has a gravitational pull on us. It will pull us that way. We, we begin to resemble the things that we worship. We take on their attributes. We take on their characteristics. It, it's, it's funny. Have you ever seen an older couple? They've been together a long time, and they start to kind of dress alike? They're wearing the same colors. Maybe it's because the wife is just dressing the husband and it's easier if they're in a uniform. I don't know. (laughs) But you see them and if you didn't know they were together, you'd still be able to go, oh yeah, I could see they're together. They kind of look alike. Why? Because we move in the direction of our affection. The things we love pull us that way. We begin to resemble the things we worship, both in a negative and positive way. Obviously, there's negative sides of this when we're pulled toward the wrong things, but there's a positive as well. This is why God says, you'll have no other gods before me. I will be first and primary in your life because he understands if he's first and he's the first in our affections, we're gonna be pulled toward him. We're gonna start to resemble him just by loving him. Because we begin to resemble that which we worship. Ezekiel fourteen three says, Son of man, These leaders have set up idols in their hearts. They've embraced things that will make them fall into sin. Why should I listen to their requests? They've set up idols in their heart. It's not just that they are engaged in a behavior, but now their heart, the affections of their heart are pulled toward these idols, and they get to a place where he just says, I'm not going to listen to their requests. They can pray, but I'm not going to listen anymore. And I think too many times our prayers are ineffective because at the end of the day, I think sometimes we've got idols. Yeah, we love God, but he doesn't occupy our top affection. And as a result, our prayers are ineffective. Third thing is this. Idols abandon us. Jeremiah eleven twelve says this. Then the people of Judah and Jerusalem will pray to their idols and burn incense before them, but the idols will not save them when disaster strikes. When trouble comes, they're gonna go to their idols and they're gonna be like, okay, idol, bring it home, we got this. And their idol has no power, we already talked about that. What happens? That that idol that they've put their affection into, their, their hope, their faith, all these feelings, whatever it is, It abandons them. Now what are they to do? When their idol is gone. Because the idol can't save us. Well what it does is. It causes despair in our lives. There's a. uh, There was a French political commentator in the 1830s. um, And. He was observing the United States. He came to the U.S. just to study and to figure out our culture and, um, and just to report on it, what he had seen. And his name was Alexis de Tocqueville. And it was interesting what he said. Uh, he, he noted, when he came to the United States, he noted a strange melancholy that haunts the inhabitants in the midst of abundance. He went on to say, that the incomplete joys of this world will never satisfy the heart. That's interesting. (laughs) What he observed is, in the United States in 1830s, a nation of abundance with people that were full of melancholy. He called it a strange melancholy in the midst of abundance. You know, I mentioned despair. Sorrow and despair are two different things. Sorrow is um, the loss of a good thing among other good things. So sorrow is the feeling we have when we lose our job, but we take comfort in the fact that at least I've got my family. Or um, maybe I I lose a loved one, and I take some comfort in the fact that at least I have the rest of my family. So sorrow is generated when we lose a good thing, but there are other good things that we can take comfort in. Despair is different because despair is losing the ultimate thing. And when we lose the ultimate thing, where are we to turn? What are we to do? I think this is a test of whether something or someone is an idol in us. When it's gone, how do we respond? because if it's an idol we will despair because there is no comfort there is no consolation for that, that's all there is because that was supposed to be supreme for us I was thinking this last week about um, financial crisis in 2008 Um, some of you remember it better than others but in 2008 there was a global financial crisis that struck and it was related to the housing market and mortgage-backed securities and um, literally every financial institution in the world was impacted by this to some degree or another. And I'm fascinated by it. So I've read just about everything I can get my hands on to read when it comes to uh, that period of time and what the economy looked like and all those kind of things. And one of the things that's, that's interesting and heartbreaking is between the middle of 2008 and the end of 2008, there was a string of suicides. And there was a lot of talk in that time between uh, people, you know, is it impacting Main Street or Wall Street? And, um, you know, who's this really impacting? And the reality is, it impacted lots of people. But what we see, and what made me think of this was that quote from, Tocqueville that said, that a strange melancholy, haunts the inhabitants in the midst of abundance. The CFO of Freddie Mac uh, was very successful by most terms, but after this issue, he hung himself, he took his own life. The CEO of Sheldon Good, he killed himself while parked in his garage in his Jaguar. There was a French money manager who had invested public funds for people's retirements uh, in was ultimately a Ponzi scheme by Bernie Madoff that you might remember. And this man lost $1.4 billion worth of people's retirements. He took his own life in his Madison Avenue office. There was a Danish senior executive with HSBC who killed himself in a closet in his hotel room. There was an executive with Bear Stearns, and Bear Stearns was a, uh, they were an investment company, an investment bank who, uh, they were about to close their doors, and uh, the government helped arrange uh, a buyout of Bear Stearns by J.P. Morgan Chase, and saved the company essentially, but, uh, it just did huge financial damage to this company. And there was this exec that thought he was going to be brought on to Morgan Chase. And when he found out he wasn't, he took a handful of pills and he jumped out the window of his 29th floor office and killed himself. And later, when his friends were asked, his friends said, This Bear Stearns thing broke his spirit. This is heartbreaking. This was just money. It was a lot of money. It was just money. Were these people evil? I don't think they were evil. They had wives and kids and families. and I think what happened is they took something and they made it supreme, and it should have never been supreme in their life. What happened is they lost something that was supreme, that was ultimate, and it caused them to despair. Same thing can happen to us. We put our hope, we put our affection in the wrong thing. We get our affections disordered, where we love the wrong things too much and the right things too little. And what happens is we lose those things and we end up in despair. We end up like this man, and maybe we don't take our own life, but it breaks us. At the end of the day, God wants us to love him supremely, and it's not because he needs it, it's because we need it. When we love God supremely, it'll order the rest of our affections. I am telling you, I, I love my wife better when I love God supremely. I love my kids better when I love God supremely. I love our church better when I love God supremely. When I make sure my affections are ordered in a way that pleases God and when I start with him, everything else falls into place correctly. I don't have to despair because I'm never going to lose God. That mean I want to have sorrow? No, I'll have sorrow. But I'll lose a good thing in the midst of other good things and I will never lose the supreme thing. I'll never have reason to despair. I hope you don't feel any condemnation today as we talk through this. I hope you don't sit there thinking, oh my gosh, I realize that I've got some gods ahead of the one true God. I realize that there's some things I love a little too much and I love God a little too little because That's not what God's into. He's not trying to condemn you. He wants to reconcile with you. He wants to bring you home. So I wanna give you that opportunity. This time, I'm gonna turn it over to our hosts in Blairsville. They're gonna close out the rest of this service and and give you an opportunity to respond. But I I hope you guys know I love you more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. One of the things I said in... um, The other services this weekend is when I'm buttoning a shirt, if I get that first button wrong, it messes up all the rest of the buttons because I'm not paying attention. They just kind of fall into place after the first one. And God is the first button. And if I can endeavor in my life to love him supremely, then all the other affections will fall into place naturally. And that's really what today is about. It's about making sure our affections are ordered correctly. It's not that we don't need to love our family, but we just need to order, uh, love them in the, the right way or love them appropriately. It's not that we don't love our job. It's not that we don't love the things we have. It's okay to love any of those things, but we need to love them appropriately and in the right order. And when we do, everything else will fall into place. So that's really what I'm inviting you to do today. Maybe you're here today and you recognize the fact that your affections were disordered, that, that there were things you loved way more than you love God. And yeah, you come to church. Yeah, you, you watch online. Yeah, you do that stuff. That's great. But maybe you realize your affection for God is not primary. The great news is God's not mad at you. He's not here to condemn you. He wants to reconcile with you. He wants to bring you home. He wants you to experience his love like you've never experienced it before. And he's gonna give you that opportunity. Maybe you've been coming to church for a hundred years. Maybe you've heard every sermon and you recognize like, man, yeah, some of that was me. I've got some idols that I didn't even realize I had. God's ready to respond to you today if you'll respond to him. I want to give you that chance. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Lord, thank you so much for loving us like you do. I can never, ever understand why or how you love us. Why or how you love me. God, I'm sorry for the times that I've taken you for granted. I'm sorry for the times that I have not given you the affection you deserve. I'm sorry for the times I haven't recognized that. I'm sorry for the times that my heart has drifted from you. I pray, Lord, that you would help me always put you first in every way, in every relationship, in every affection. I pray that you would be first in my heart and my life. I pray that that would be the prayer of this church as well, God, that, that we would put you first. That whatever you want from us, whatever you want for us, whatever you ask, we are yours. God, we will hold nothing back from you because you held nothing back from us. So God, minister in us. Change us, transform us, make us different by your spirit. Now with nobody looking around, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just wanna ask you, whether you are new to church and new to God, and this is your first time you've ever heard a message like this or whether you have been to church your whole life. If you recognize today that, that you're not where you need to be with God, that maybe there's some, some idols that have taken hold in your heart that you need to root out, that you need to let the Holy Spirit extract from your heart and from your affections, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond. I don't believe we have to be saved over and over and over again, but I do believe there's an opportunity for us to recommit our lives and to recognize the fact that maybe we haven't done as good as we should have been doing and to recommit ourselves to him. It doesn't mean we get saved again. It just means we reaffirm our affections for Christ. So whether you've never really prayed a prayer like that before or... Maybe you've prayed before, but you just need to reaffirm your affection for Christ today. I wanna give you that chance. So if you're here and you know, man, some things have gotten in the way of my affection for God, that he's not the primary affection of my life, but I want him to be. I wanna know his love. I wanna know his freedom. I'm tired of being enslaved to idols. I'm tired of the lies of the idols. I'm tired of being abandoned by the idols. And I just want the truth thing. Would you be bold enough to slip your hand up and say, that's me, pray for me, I want to be included in this final prayer? Yeah, thank you, thank you on my left, lots of hands, center section, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks on my right, several hands. Up in the balcony, I see you. Yeah, lots of hands, praise God. Praise God. I don't want today just to be an emotional response to a message. My prayer is that This will be a watershed for us that we'll leave here and that everything will be different after this, that you'll be able to mark time before and after this experience with God. Lord, have your way with us. I'd like every person in this place to pray this prayer with me whether you raised your hand or not. I want you to pray this prayer, whether it's the first time or whether it's a prayer of recommitment and rededication, I want you to pray this with me. So pray this out loud with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me so much. Thank you for giving me your son to pay the price for my sins. Forgive me for putting other things in your place and for loving other things more than I loved you. From this day forward, you are my only God. You are my primary love, and I am yours. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Listen, if you prayed that prayer with us today and you meant it, um, we'd love to help you grow in your faith. Whether you are brand new to your faith or maybe you are growing and struggling a little bit, whatever the case is, we would love to help you. The uh, simplest thing for you to do is to take the card out of the seat back in front of you and then just take it to our information center. They're gonna let you fill it out, answer questions you may have, give you a Bible and help get you connected to some opportunities. If you're watching online or you're here in the room and you prefer to, you can simply text the word SUMMIT PA to the number nine four zero 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 you do that we're going to help you take the next step and get you connected to opportunities as well if you're uh if you respond that way we're going to mail some stuff to you and help you grow in your faith so thank you for that we'd love to get you connected to the starting point it is a great opportunity for you to grow and be matured in your faith and really figure out what god's doing in our world and in your life so thank you for that